Press family, we are starting a new month, and this month is called Walking It Out. And so we're going to take some basic principles in the Word and try to put um, legs and arms and feet to it. So this morning, I thought I would pick the nice little neat topic of finding God's will for our life. And I think I can cover this in about 10 minutes. What do you say? Who thinks I can do that? Okay. <laughs> well, I was very tempted to call this sermon if God has a wonderful plan for my life, why doesn't he just tell me what it is already? Who thinks that would be a better name for it? Yes, I see those hands. Yes. Well, if for those of us, welcome if you're a visitor. Welcome if you're here as a searcher or as a seeker of what is truth. We welcome you this morning. Um, I and, and those of us that are on staff here believe that God's, worth, God's word reveals the truth about who he is and what his son has done for us. And since we have that core belief, that leads us to the question of, why was I born? Why, what is the purpose for my life? What did God intend when he formed me? So that's why you hear Christians using this phrase, finding God's will for our life. It can be a little bit of a confusing phrase because we mean it in different ways. I'm going to talk about three different ways this morning that we use God's will as we talk about different things in life. But before I start, I'd like to just mention something that about this first way that God reveals his will. It's talking about God's sovereignty. And normally in life, when we are presented with facts, Facts clear up a mystery, right? When we have all the facts, we feel like the mystery's been solved or that, that we have the answer once we've received the truth. But like many things with God's kingdom, like the first shall be last, and if you want to be a, a, the greatest, you need to be a servant, things are kind of done in a different order than what we think. And this, the sovereignty of God is the same way. When we're presented with the facts in the Bible about who God is, what he does, it, instead of answering questions for us, it begins with the truth, but it leads us to a great mystery. There are so many mysteries in the Bible. Even though we know the facts, we don't understand how they can be true. And the sovereignty of God is one of them. So... When we talk about God's will of decree, it refers to what God has ordained, what he has established and will happen, whether we agree that it will happen, whether we understand how it will happen, whether we are in, no matter what, God's will will be established. So let me read those verses very quickly. And this first one in Ephesians is a, is a, is a meaty, it's a weighty verse. And you just kind of have to, this is one of those verses that you take home and you chew over at home, you think about. But I'm going to just read it right now. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Hallelujah. Asher is an example of that inheritance. Children are a blessing and an inheritance. But in him, we have obtained an inheritance. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things. All things. That includes everything that I do. Everything that you do works all things according to the counsel of his will. That's such a, that's a meaty verse. 
He works all things according to the counsel of his will. That speaks of the sovereignty of God. Isaiah, I picked one from the Old Testament as well. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things yet not done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purpose. Hallelujah. I love his word. So God's, when we, one of the ways that we speak about God's will is when we're referring to God's sovereignty, his will. There are things that will happen, things that, that Revelation talks about, things that are yet coming, things that he has established, and that's his responsibility to make sure that they happen. He will see that they happen. Next, we're going to talk about God's will of desire. Now, one of the mysteries in that first one, God's will of decree, I was teasing them in the first service, but take all of your questions about the sovereignty of God. For example, since God is sovereign, not if, but since God is sovereign, why does he hold us accountable for our actions and our choices if he's sovereign? So I suggest, and I suggested in the first service, that you take all those questions to Monday night's Bible class. And Pastor Peter has said he will be so happy to answer all the questions of human suffering and God's sovereignty and things like that. Amen? Yes, because we don't have time this morning to talk about that. We're going to get into God's will of desire. And this is when we talk about the will of God that he has made known in the scripture. This is the way God has commanded us to live. So see, some of God's will is he decides we have no say in it. We just need to stand back and say, amen, Lord. Amen. I trust you. I trust you with the future. I trust you with all the questions I don't understand from my past. I trust you. You are sovereign. You are the strategist. But then there's places in the Bible, many places, and God has placed boundaries around certain things. And he has declared that the things that he has placed a boundary around are things that will reveal his word for us as his children, as Christians, as believers. I have just a couple of these. There are many, many verses in Scripture. But this is when we say God's will, we are also referring to the things that he wants, how he wants us to act how he wants us to be at school, at home, at work. Now, here's just a couple for Thessalonians. Give thanks in all circumstances. Okay, and I want you just for a moment to think about your circumstance this morning. Think about your job. Think about your marriage. Think about who you're dating. Think about the money in your bank account. Think about the opportunity that just passed you by. And this word is revealing God's will for us as his children. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Does it make sense? A lot of times the circumstances we're in, we want to just run. We want to get away as fast as we can. We want it to be over. Just let this be over. But while we're waiting, he says, give thanks. Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, will enter 
the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, the one who does the will, the will that I've revealed, what I have revealed to you that I want to see in my children, the ones that do my will. And again, in Thessalonians, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Of all people across the earth, God's children should have deep wells of joy in our heart, no matter what our circumstance is. We of all people should be reservoirs of joy. And he commands us here, his will for me that he has expressed is to be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, he says it again. For this is God's will for you, for those of us who belong to Christ. Amen. I'm going to give you two examples of some boundaries that God has placed in his word that as believers we need to honor. Because when we honor these boundaries, we honor God's will for our life. We're saying, God, I, I, I respect what you've, what you've shown to be your will, what you have declared to be your will. Because we're going to get to the third one where we're not, he doesn't say exactly what his will is. But in this particular strand, when we're talking about the will of God, he is very clear. I'm just going to use two examples that we're all familiar with. I could pick many more, but we don't have time. The first is with our money. I didn't put the verses up, but you know where to go find them. God said, Everything you have belongs to me. You are to steward it. And I'm asking for 10%. Like Jimmy prayed this morning, God doesn't need it. But he wants to see what's in our heart. He also wants us to give offerings with a joyful heart. But we're talking about the tithe. That is what he has expressed. That is his desire for us to be cheerful in our giving. And you'd be amazed at the excuses People make the, the loopholes they try to find to get around obedience when God has expressed, This is my will for you. This is what I've asked you to do. This one thing with your money. The rest of it, 90%, you can, you can live where you want to live. You can spend money on what you want to spend it on. You can. But I'm going to see your heart by giving the first 10 to me. He's expressed that is his will for his children. The second example is relationships. We talk a lot about relationships in this church because we know that that's what life is really all about. The relationships of the people that we love and the people that we need to learn to love. And he said, if you're going to marry, he doesn't, he doesn't say you must marry. He doesn't say you shouldn't marry. He says, if you desire to take a wife, if you desire to take a husband, with my children, I am saying, be equally yoked. Don't pick someone that is not a believer. Don't pick someone you can't go to church with. Don't pick someone that will not pray and, and, and raise up your children in my ways. Pick someone, be equally yoked. Pick someone that believes in me. He doesn't say who, how short, how tall, how hot, how whatever. He doesn't say that. He just says, this is my will for you if you desire to marry. Pick someone who loves me with all their heart. 
If you're someone that says, you know what, I think I'm going to serve God better in, in singleness, walking in singleness. He has a boundary he's put for those of us, that, or for those, not for those of us, sorry, for those of y'all that want to walk in singleness. He says, walk in purity. Walk in sexual purity. He has revealed his will for us in these areas. And we can, man, have I heard a lot of excuses when it comes to that. I have heard, you name it, I've heard it. We spend all kinds of energy trying to not do the thing that God has expressed is his will for his children when it comes to relationships. Instead of just saying, Lord, I, I recognize this is what you've asked. I recognize, and I'll bend my knee to that. We're going to spend the most time here, God's will of direction. This is the one that we get the most questions about. This is God's will as it pertains to, well, what should I do with my life? What, what career would best, what, what, I don't know, what job should I take? God, do you, you know, you, you formed me, you fashioned me. What do you want me to do with my life? What school do you want me to go to? Where should we go on vacation? What are the things that I need to do that will, that will find this one purpose that you have for me? And I have a, a, a thought for those of you that feel like or that wonder if God has one direction, one purpose, one plan for your life. And I'm here to tell you that the answer is no. There's not one plan for your life. That might be kind of shocking, but if you think about it, if God's had one plan for your life, what if you've already missed it? What if you've already chosen the wrong thing? What if you've already married what you're saying now was the wrong person? What if you've already picked, you've been to school for 10 years and it's the wrong, guess what, I hate my career. What if I picked the wrong The Bible doesn't tell us whether we should live in Orlando or Oregon. The Bible doesn't tell us whether we should go to FSU or ORU. I was asking the first service, which is the biggest party school in the country. They told me, who do y'all think it is? Say it louder. Arizona State? UCF? Well, they said FSU. FSU it used to be a big party. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right. But unless you're choosing college based on the biggest party school, it doesn't really matter to God. That might be shocking to you. But let me say, God doesn't care if you are an engineer or a salesman. What he cares about is the motive of your heart. And can you serve him? in the career that you have chosen, in the place that you have chosen to go? Can you serve him? Can you be a witness for him in what you've chosen to do, the path you've decided to go down? It says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives. Now, when I'm asking, it never seems like the wrong motive. It always seems perfectly pure. It always seems like the right motive when I'm asking God for something. But am I the only one here that has asked God for something and not received it? Party of one, party of two. We're the only two here that have asked God for things and never received them. And the Bible says that happens because I ask with the wrong motive. And he needs to uncover and expose those things in my heart so I can ask with right motives. 
More time should be spent trying to figure out how to act justly. Like Pastor Peter was saying during the baptism, how to act justly, how to love mercy, how to walk humbly with God as a biologist, as an entrepreneur, as a salesman, as a farmer, as a mother. And less time should be spent worrying about whether we should be a biologist or an entrepreneur or a farmer or a mother. We need, to, we need to choose our path, take a step of faith, but make sure it's something that can honor God in all that we do. Instead, we spend so much time agonizing over two choices that neither one are forbidden anyway. How do we honor God in the career that we choose? How do we honor God in the family that we have? That's what we need to be concerned with as children of God. Now, there are some, find it, there are some factors that affect how we make decisions. And I, so I've, I've picked a couple of them here. And these factors to me reflect how we're conforming to this world rather than being transformed by the word of God and by truth in our life. Let me give you a couple of these and see if you can see any of yourself as you're making decisions. The first one is we want perfect fulfillment in life. It seems that the, the church in America, and I think that's a broad statement, I know, but it seems like we've lost the attitude that we are, that this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And we spend a lot of time being comfortable in this world. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I live in a very comfortable, very beautiful home. So I'm not saying that that's wrong. But I'm saying we've lost the attitude. When we're trying to find God's will, we've lost the attitude that we are pilgrims here. This is not our home. Our home is going to be with the Lord forevermore, wherever, wherever that is, wherever he chooses that to be. But we, but we try to find fulfillment now. Right now, right now, all the time, we want to be fulfilled totally. We want to be the richest. We want to be the most powerful. We want to be the most influential. We want God to give us these things, and we want God to give us these things now. God said, when you ask me, you're asking with the wrong motive. This is not our home. We want to know the future. I think um, that this wrong seeking of God's will comes from fear. It's like we want to control what happens. We want to control the situation. We want to control the people. And that makes us feel secure if we feel like we have some kind of control. But you know, as well as I know, that we don't have control. But we know the one who does have control. That's what we can trust. That's what we can lean on. And when we want to know the future, it stops us from taking risks from God today. It stops us from stepping out in faith today. 
when we have to know all the circumstances surrounding the decision. We have to know everything about the choice that we're getting ready to make. We want too many choices. Can there ever be too much of a good thing? Have any of you personally experienced having too much of something that's good? For those of you that can't relate to that question, let me say Thanksgiving is right around the corner with our pumpkin pie, our pecan pie. I, believe me, I've had too much of a good thing. I've had too much sugar. There's too much of a good thing. And I'm saying too many choices is not the best thing. It seems like the best thing. I mean, I can work from home and, and be, doing, be doing business in China. Hey, I can work from home and be, I've got all these options. I've got all these opportunities. I've got, I can't even make a decision. I've got so many. Let me, let me read you something. It's interesting. It's a book called The Paradox of Choice. The students I teach have multiple interests and capabilities. He doesn't say what college he's talking about, but they are talented and have opportunities. The world is wide open to them, but instead of reveling in this freedom, most of the students find it agonizing. They are forced to navigate between competing interests, making money and making a difference, challenging their minds, challenging their creative, channeling their creativity, focusing on a career, leaving time for family. Settling down now, traveling abroad for a while, starting a career and trying another internship, living in a bustling city or resting in a pastoral location, going to work right away, going in for more schooling. Too much of a good thing. And it has the, the, the product, the end result of paralyzing college students. They don't know what decision to make. In fact, uh, one professor, I didn't put his name up there, he coined a phrase, which of course we're all coining phrases now, but he coined it decidophobia, which, you know, sounds kind of silly. But he said it's such a thing now with college students not being unable to make a decision because there are so many choices. He said there's a fear of making a choice because there's, if I choose A, well, I've, now I've cut myself off from B and C. Here. It comes, to decide comes from the Latin word, and it means to cut off. When you make a decision, you've placed a boundary around everything else. Now, now you just have to let it go because I've made this choice. And if the grass is always greener, if you've got three other choices that look just as good, how do you ever move on? How do you ever Put down roots and shoulder responsibility and settle into what you believe God wants you to do. There's just too many choices. Well, maybe I should try this for two years. Okay, well, then maybe I'm going to do this for a year. Okay, now maybe I should go up there. And the shouldering of responsibilities gets pushed off and off and off. But I want to find God's will for my life. Then make a decision. Make a decision. And start working towards that. We've made God's will about avoiding responsibility. Maybe I should do this. Or maybe God wants me to do that. Avoiding responsibility is not how we find God's will 
for our life. Avoiding life, it seems like we're participating because we're doing a little bit of everything. But I say we're avoiding life. Because we're not putting down roots. We're not assigning, this is my place. And I'm going to take my stand here. The last one is we want to have peace of mind before we act. Now, this might ruffle some feathers. How many of us have heard over the years, well, I had a piece about it. How many? Heck, I've said it a bunch of times. I had a piece about it. I see that hand going up back there. I had a piece about it. Let me just say that that phrase was said by no one ever in the Scripture. No one ever in the Bible said, I had a piece about it. Daniel, before he stepped into the lion's den, I got a real piece about this, people. <laughs> Queen Esther, the rate of, 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 of a whole race of people was on her shoulders. Well, you might, you might get killed if you, I got a real piece about this one. This one I'm pretty sure is good. No one ever said that in the Bible, but they were asked to take amazing risks for God. They stepped out in faith, trusting that God was able to do what he promised he would do. They didn't wait for a peace before they moved. And what we think is, I wrote it down because I thought this is what we need. Here's the sequence. God calls us. We get a deep feeling of peace in our mind and settled in our soul. We decide to obey and it's smooth sailing from there on out. Is that how it goes? It's never gone that way for me. Not one time ever, ever has it gone that way for me. Here's how it goes. For all of the people in the scriptures, and I challenge you to let Pastor Peter know tomorrow night in class if you find another one. God calls. I feel terror. I'm scared. This is such a scary thing. What if I take the step of faith and it doesn't? but I decide to obey. Big problems come up, attacks on every side, more terror, and now I'm really scared because now I see what's at stake. I have second thoughts, third thoughts, fourth thoughts. Repeat this several times. And then I see my faith is deepened, strengthened. The roots of my faith have sunk into the soil of God's word, wrapped around God's heart, and I'm confident that God will do what I've asked him in faith to do. I think about David, and uh, go ahead and just stand with me, please. But I think about David running toward Goliath, running toward this huge obstacle, he had five stones. He only used one of them. But I believe that God is saying we need to take more risks for him. As we're looking for God's will in our life, as we're trying to search, God, what will serve you? What will please you? Can we at least, for the love of God, take a risk and not wait for every question to be answered, not, not be paralyzed by all the choices that we have? Just pick something and step out in faith with our smooth stones, our stone of faith, our stone of confidence, our stone of joy in every circumstance, 
and do something for God. God does have a wonderful plan for our lives. And there are areas that He is sovereign. We have nothing to say about it except we bow to your will, God. We bow to your sovereignty. We acknowledge that it's a mystery how you could have declared a thing from ancient of days till you bring us home again. Father, we acknowledge you've placed boundaries around how your children are to act, are to walk in this world, are to, be, are to, to, to behave with one another. We acknowledge that is your will for our life. But Father, in those areas where you haven't specified, this is your job, this is your wife, this is your husband, this is your, Father, we are going to take big steps of faith. You don't take risks, God. You hold and contain all things. So I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going to step out in faith because it says you will make it all work out for my good, even if I make a wrong choice. Listen, if the Bible only contained people that never made a wrong choice, it would be a very short book and there would be one person in it. Everybody else made wrong choices. Don't be afraid. Let's find God's will for our life by taking chances, by going out, stepping out in faith. Let's do it together. We're going to do that as a church. We're stepping out in faith as a church, looking and seeking for that place that God has for us. Let's do it with relationships. All areas of our life. Amen?